Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you uh, with me. Another Monday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect into this great topic of this call we have to witness to our faith. Now, uh, this evening, I'm really excited because we will begin a series on the relationship between medicine and faith. Uh, Usually what I do here from one Monday to the next is really respond to your feedback. And uh, from the conversations I've had with you, the listener, um, we are going to start a series on medicine and faith where we will have an opportunity to engage this in more depth. A series of reflections that will ultimately afford us the opportunity to engage the natural continuity that exists between medicine and faith. And so over the course of the upcoming weeks, I will have a medical professional on with me to not only discuss this continuity that exists between medicine and faith, but through the prism of each vocational story, uh, maybe to gain insights into the ways in which, especially if you are a medical professional, uh, we might be called to bear witness to our faith uh, in light of, again, the dynamism that exists between medicine and faith. So, With that, I have with me uh, James Mabry, a physician assistant from Auburn, California. So, James, it is great to have you with me this evening. Hey, thanks, Joe. Great to be here. So, uh, James, you are a uh, physician assistant. Now, when we we talk about medical professionals, usually we might hear um, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a doctor, or maybe... A specific discipline within that area of being a doctor, whether it be a dermatologist or a cardiologist or so on and so forth, but a physician assistant. Uh, how are we to understand what a physician assistant is? Well, uh, I get this, com- this conversation a lot at work. <laughs> I think probably 80% of the people, you know, ask me what that is, and I try to explain it to them. And, you know, the best way that I've kind of come to explaining it is that I went to school and I got my bachelor's degree, and then I went on and I got a, a master's degree in medicine, so to speak, as opposed to a doctorate. And that kind of uh, can quickly kind of describe that to people. Uh, but of course, it's a lot more in depth than that. Now, in its practice, James, as I understand it, a physician assistant is, is to be understood huh, as an extension of the physician. Uh, maybe. Uh, allowing the physician to deal with some of the more complex cases, uh, the more complex patients, to free him or her up. And so ultimately the physician assistant, while practicing in many ways like a physician, but yet under the supervision of the physician, is able to uh, be more present to the patient, uh, spend more time with the patient. To me, as I was reflecting into this, that is really where... There's a uniqueness to the PA, especially as it opens itself uh, to some of these key Christian principles, you know, presence, encounter. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people have heard of nurse practitioners here, especially on the West Coast. 
And uh, so one of, I think, the, the points that you're kind of uh, talking about is that there is a difference uh, between nurse practitioners and physician assistants in that a physician assistant uh, has a, we are considered a, what's called a dependent practitioner, meaning that uh, I always have a supervisory uh, physician, someone that uh, I can go to with questions. Uh, and like, as you also said, you know, I, I practice very independently. Um, I am not uh, just handing instruments to uh, a doctor or that sort of thing. And so I actually work as a hospitalist at Sierra Nevada Memorial uh, in Grass Valley. And I get my own patient load. I see all my own patients. And, you know, I discuss all the cases with my supervisory physician, but they are my patients. Mm -hmm. And I am the one that is caring for them. And, you know, I I know that we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but, you know, in caring for them in light of uh, this being uh, a vocation for me, my calling, you know, I engage them both in the physical sense in healing their bodies, but we always have to be present and aware that a person is much more than a body. They are, um, you know, their mind, their body, and probably most importantly, their soul. You know, contrary to uh, James, the widespread belief, you know, the, the human being is not a spirit trapped in, in a body. I mean, the body is not a prison from which the soul will finally be liberated at death. What you're made to see is that in the authentic Christian view of things, the human being is an incarnate spirit, or as John Paul II liked to put it, um, a spiritualized body. I had pulled up uh, the catechism here, James, and I'll quickly read this because I think this is a nice definition, paragraph 365. Catechism teaches that the unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body, i.e. it is because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. So spirit and matter in man uh, are not two natures united, but rather their union forms a single nature. And I highlight that definition, James, because really it gets to the heart of what you're talking about. We're not dealing with autonomous things here. When you are healing the body, ultimately you are made as one who is caring for them to be present to their soul. And in this way, I think most profoundly, you are sharing in the healing ministry of Christ, uh, sharing in his uh, healing work. Now you spoke, James, to the word vocation, and I know you have a unique story to tell as it relates to uh, your journey of faith within your vocation of being a medical professional. Yeah, you know, I think I'd have to kind of take a step back and kind of start when I was initially an undergraduate. Uh, my actually bachelor's is in uh, recreation administration, which seems to baffle just about everybody <laughs> I tell. But, you know, the, there's this part of the recreation is that I was uh, doing a lot of backcountry work. I was out and, you know, there was no one there to help. If there was an emergency, and I was leading the trip. Mm. So that was my uh, responsibility. And uh, not on one of my trips, but a fr- uh, friend of mine, another guide, they had an emergency where they had to helicopter somebody out. After that, you know, all of us said, you know, we need more training, mm. you know, to be ready if something happened there, you know. And uh, so, you know, went back. I got my EMT. I worked on the Hoopa Reservation 
in Northern California as an EMT on the ambulance. Ended up getting the job in the emergency department as a tech. And the next thing I knew, I mean, I, I was in love with medicine. Hmm. And so I went back to undergraduate, got some more schooling, and went to uh, apply to medical school, actually. I, I took uh, the MCATS, which is the entrance exam, and I was planning on being a doctor, being a physician. And my family owns a business, and uh, they were needing some additional help. And so my wife and I took the opportunity to come uh, and help them. And so I took kind of a break uh, in between finishing my prerequisites for medical school and then actually going to medical school. And during that time, uh, uh, my uh, wife and I thought that we were pregnant. Hmm. Um, and it ended that she she actually wasn't pregnant. She, you know, it seems like maybe she was just a little late. <laughs> but it opened the door for us that we weren't expecting to go through at that time in our life. And we said, you know what? We feel that this is the appropriate time. But in that conversation was, well, I have a lot of schooling left. Mm. So I talked to a good friend of mine that's a PA, and I had to come to grips with myself as to why I wanted to be a doctor. Now, was it to serve and to help people, mm. or was it to have a title mm-hmm. and to make money? Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, at the crux, for me, what was it? Did I need that title? Mm-hmm. And, it, and so it really forced me to reflect on uh, my own self and to be humble in a sense that, uh, you know, that I didn't need a title to be able to heal people. Mm. And so, you know, for me, uh, after discussing with my wife and um, friends and, and lots of prayer, <laughs> as you can imagine. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I said, you know, I my goal is to heal people. Hmm. And so I decided, uh, or we decided, my wife and I, that we would get pregnant and that we would, um, and that I would go to PA school, which is a little less commitment time-wise, uh, but it would afford me the opportunity to be there in a shorter time for my family mm-hmm. while still being able to heal the person. One of the things that I'm hearing, James, certainly is a very intense discernment, you know, an examination of self. And I think from one week to the next, as we talk about this call to witness to our faith, certainly a golden thread that has really emerged over the past few months, really, is how the discernment itself witnesses saying yes to God in an unexpected way, how this becomes the most profound witness because of the way in which as a culture, we just kind of expect certain things, you know, whether it be how people look at us or, you know, how we see ourselves before God. That's a beautiful testimony, I think, James, in so many different ways. So many people are, are after those those titles for, you know, power, prestige, and, and pleasure, and here you humbly submit to that. You know, I, you and I being close, I, I've heard you share the story, but not in that way, and I, I appreciate, and I know our listeners appreciate you being so open and honest about your sharing, your discernment process. James, you uh, had a unique experience uh, in, in Africa that I think, as I understand it, had, had uh, an important role in, in your journey of faith. Yeah, so, you know, we had uh, made the decision to go to PA school, but it, it was still a lot of loans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> after a year, 
I was starting to feel that weight. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. here I have a family. Uh, you know, at that time I have my son and my wife and myself and the, and the three of us. And now, you know, by the end of my training, I knew I, I could have bought a house or I could have gotten my education in medicine. And so uh, a lot of talk goes on in circles in medicine uh, about this. And a lot of people feel this pressure to make more money. And one of the ways and the main way that most people do that is to specialize. And so, you know, this is what I kind of was thinking about. I was in my rotations uh, where, uh, you know, we would go from family medicine to, uh, you know, OBGYN and whatnot. And I had the opportunity to go to Ghana in West Africa. Mm. And uh, we went for uh, two weeks, and we worked out of uh, our university had an association there uh, with uh, a church. Uh, and so we had the opportunity to go there, and we would set up, clear out all the chairs. We would set up kind of makeshift uh, tables, you know, exam tables whatnot, and uh, to go there and to work with these people uh, and to, you know, heal them. And it was there that uh, I realized uh, that, I had to move beyond that, once again, mm. that financial pressure that I was feeling. Mm. Uh, because if I were to specialize, I, w- I felt that, you know, my personal thing was that it would minimize the, the amount of people that I could help. Mm. You mm. know, because then if you're a cardiologist, you're only seeing people with heart problems. But if yeah. you're a generalist, and, and I am, uh, you know, internal medicine trained, and so... You know, if as that, I can see just about anybody. Sure. And so there was one particular experience, if you don't mind me uh, going on here for a minute. Please do. Uh, and that was there was a woman who had uh, been diagnosed by their healthcare system there in Ghana uh, with hepatitis. And so hepatitis in, uh, is a treatable disease in our country here in the United States. But in Ghana, it is not. They do not have the resources. They don't have the money. Uh, and so for her, this is a lifelong disease. Mm. Okay. And so I took the time to explain her disease to her and, and the process and what would happen to her. And while, you know, for me, obviously I was learning and it was a great learning experience, when I finished, she thanked me. Mm. And it baffled my mind. How could someone, I, I can't do anything for her. How is she thanking me? Mm. And, it, and really, in that moment, in that experience, is where I realized there was more than healing the body. Mm. The, and, and healing, as we said before, the mind and the soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we had a, a policy where no one left without something. And so I gathered up some soap, some shampoo, and, you know, some other things that we had, lotion or whatnot, and I gave it to her, and she was so thankful. But I knew in that moment that that really I felt like I was being healed more than she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that amazing how God works in, in, in that, again, that unexpected way? I remember there's a time, James, where... 
we had gone into Mexico. It was just outside Tijuana. We went into a series of colonies during uh, the Epiphany. Of course, this is when, you know, within the Mexican culture, this is when they exchange gifts. And I thought I was doing, you know, my Christian noble deed, you know, going to mm-hmm. uh, the poorest of the poor, bringing to them gifts, you know, going to those who are on the margins, going to those who were without and giving them something. And I remember in this, in this caravan, we rolled over this hill and we went down into this colony where these families were literally coming out of the ground. They essentially had built holes in the ground and this is where they lived. And they came out with such joy. You were talking about her thanking you. I, I can't remember hearing so many uh, thank yous. It, it struck me. And here, in that moment, I thought I was ministering to them for their material need. And what I never had thought about up to that point, sadly enough, because I think I was 22 or 23, that I realized ultimately I wasn't ministering to them. I was giving them gifts, but they were ministering to me. They were ministering to me in their joy. They were ministering to me in their gratitude. They were ministering to me in a way that I could never minister to them. Nor at that time was I disposed to minister to them. And as you're talking, James, uh, one of the things that strikes me is that word encounter. And this word, James, has us going back to the Gospel of Luke, right? Luke is a physician. I mean, this is important for our reflection because we have an evangelist, an author of one of the Gospels, that was actually a physician. And, and you know, usually when we talk about Luke, yes, we talk to uh, this Gospel as uh, the Marian Gospel. Maybe we talk about it within the context of the gospel that continues the sequential narrative of salvation history. Uh, Certainly, uh, this is an attribute that belongs to a doctor, huh? I mean, one who's going to be very attentive to the detail, uh, systematically so, as many doctors are. Um, But certainly, the Gospel of Luke also uh, speaks to Christ as the divine physician. We can well imagine that Luke would have been caught up and he would have wondered a great deal about Christ the healer. I mean, much of what is quite essential in our picture of Jesus is owed to to Luke's alertness, if you will, in bringing it all together. I mean, he gives us uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, what portrait would be complete without that parable? Only he tells us the three parables about the way that God's love patiently seeks for us men. The parable of the uh, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost penny, and of course, above all, and perhaps maybe uh, the best known parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, Only Luke has passed on to us the disturbing parable of, of the gluttonous rich man and Lazarus. Thanks to Luke, we know a great deal about the life and the suffering of our Lord. Uh, such as is presented in, of course, the precious and most impressive story about the wealthy little man known as Zacchaeus. I think we learned a song in our childhood about him, right? And maybe most importantly, James, thanks to Luke, we know some essential facts about our Lord's passion. Only Luke tells us about Jesus sweating blood during his sorrow unto death, about his agony, about uh, the angel sent to strengthen him. Only Luke has preserved the deeply disturbing scene in which Jesus, after Peter's betrayal, turns around and looks at him 
and weeps bitterly. Only Luke refers to the way that Jesus forgives not only Peter, his disciple who betrayed him, but of course, James, also those who crucified him. Those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Only Luke is able to tell us about the marvelous transformation brought about in the righteous thief by our Lord's loving forgiveness. What were those words? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. Today, our Lord says, you will be with me in paradise. This healing, this restoration, all these examples peculiar to Luke show that the author has emphasized in our particular way our Lord's turning towards sinners, as well as his love for the poor, the sick, and those who have lost their way. And what Luke wants us to see, James, is that none of this could not have been possible if it was not first about encounter, if it was not about presence. Certainly all of the evangelists speak to this. I'm thinking of John and and that encounter between Philip and Christ. Of course, the Samaritan woman. One story after another is about encounter. But again, what's unique to Luke is that there's a particular emphasis on restoration, healing, and that compassionate gaze of Christ. Um, with that, James, I wanted to get to one last thing. You know, you um, are not necessarily in Ghana right now, okay, <laughs> working with those folks. You are in a more regular situation. Um, have you discovered ways in which you were called to witness to your faith, um, maybe outside of something you've already talked about, as it relates to that regular rhythm and tenor of, of what you do from one day to the next within your profession as you're working there in the hospital? Yeah, so, you know, my job is, you know, kind of a newer uh, profession, I guess, so to speak, of internal medicine, and that, that is the hospitalist. And so I don't have a practice out in the community. I work strictly in the hospital. I admit people from the emergency department to the hospital, treat them, and then, you know, I send them back to their primary care providers to kind of take over from there. And so I have a kind of this uh, small window. But when people are admitted to the hospital, for the most part, they're in grave need. You know, they're very sick. You know, that's why you come to the hospital. And that's why you get admitted to the hospital is you're, you're very sick. And so and sometimes, uh, you know, to the point where you're going to die. It took me a while to kind of figure this part out is that that I, I wasn't going to cure everyone. I wasn't mm. going to save everyone mm. physically. And, and that's where it ends. Okay, physically. But what does this person need? They don't need physical healing right now. They need spiritual healing mm-hmm. as they lay here. I'm part of the palliative care team, which kind of deals with hospice and whatnot. So I deal a lot in these situations. And... There was one particular that kind of uh, comes to mind, an experience, an event, where the patient had cancer, had been, you know, fighting this battle with cancer, and her husband and uh, her came to the emergency department, and the cancer had spread. She was very confused and in a lot of pain. And so they asked for our help. And so, you know, we brought them into the hospital to help get the pain under control. And the discharge planner was 
kind of saying, well, I think it's time for you to go. And the husband came to me, grabbed me out of the hallway, and was very upset and concerned and uh, for his wife mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. didn't feel that she was ready to go. And in that, you know, time when I spent that I spent with them, I realized that, yes, I was ministering to my patient, but my patient isn't always just the person in the bed. The patient is also the husband, the daughter, the son. Mm-hmm. It's the whole family, in the, especially in those situations. And that's where I've seen amazing things happen. I've seen families that have been torn apart for years come together and reconcile. Mm. If that's, that's not divine intervention, I don't know uh, what it is. <laughs> yeah, James, that's a pretty powerful story, and that, that strikes me. And man, on a level, that just must convict you to really enter into what it means to be a PA, you know, a, a PA for God. My goodness. Yeah, all the more grace needed for you, huh? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be able to be present to them and... Um, again, you cannot calculate those moments. You cannot predict those moments, um, but you can only be present to those moments and call upon God's grace to give you the wisdom and, and the words to say and, and how to be present to uh, that person for who they are. And I love the way you put that they, there, James. You know, uh, husband, daughter, uh, wife, they, they come from a place, you know, that same place that we all come from, and, and that place is a family. Yeah, every family needs reconciliation, and what a great honor it is for you, James, to, to play such a role in that healing process, in that reconciliation um, process. You know, James, I'm looking up at the clock, and we're pretty much out of time already. That was fast. <laughs> Do you have any um, words of wrap-up for our listening audience this, this evening? I think that, uh, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, is that for me it is an honor to serve these people. Mm. And really, I feel that that is my job. Mm. And so for me, I think it's important, especially for, you know, possible other medical practitioners out there that might be listening, to remember that we have to work on ourselves every day as well. Amen. You know, if I don't take care of myself physically, mentally, spiritually, then I won't be able to serve my patients. Mm. Yeah, a key to Christian spirituality as it relates to discipleship is always disposition. Thomas Aquinas talks about it a great deal. You know, disponere, you know, in Latin, to be ordered, to be rightly ordered in the interior life um, so that you might see, James, <laughs> that person who, again, is needing not some instrument, but uh, a hand and a gesture of, of a brother uh, in Christ. So amen to that. And, you know, thank you, James, for your yes. I'm sure that our listening audience has uh, benefited greatly from your presence with us this evening. So let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.